The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. That's right. And it's the NBA Playoff Conference Finals Edition with my Wise Guy Roundtable. To my right, Steve Fezzik. Maybe the most famous professional batter in the world. In front of me, Mr. Brad Powers, college specialist. I'm R.J. Bell. Guys, what a show. We've got the NBA. We're going to be talking about those conference finals, giving you some information to use to bet them smartly. Also, a very surprising opinion about the Cavs. Cavs off the sweep, and Fezzik and I both agree, and you're going to be surprised what we think of that Cavs team. Also, we talked about Brad continuing the series of big conference previews in college football. Yeah, we're that far ahead, and that's the way you win. The Pac-12 this week, and he's got a team that Vegas is off on a factor with this team more than any other team in the country. Literally the biggest factor of the season in Brad's eyes that Vegas is wrong about. A little bit of a derby recap. An 0-61 trend became a 1-61, but the real shocker is the triple crown odds. The odds... For Justify to win the Triple Crown will shock you, and Fezzik's taking off the rubber band and betting it. Also, a little interesting Vegas talk, penny slots versus sports betting. You might think, well, sports betting's got to be a lot more than that. You'd be wrong, and we're going to tell you just how wrong. Four best bets throughout the show, including Dave Eschler in baseball, also his overrated, underrated team of the week. But we're going to start off with Fezzik's the guy who makes the best Vegas power rankings in the NFL in the world, in my opinion, he's going to reveal his top five teams. Showtime! Woo! All right. My fifth team is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hold on a second. I am a Steeler fan. Looking at the win totals, looking at the uh, Super Bowl futures, the, the Vegas market has Pittsburgh higher. So you're relatively down on the Steelers. I am, and it's all about coaching my top four, RJ. I love all four of the top coaches in my top five. The Steelers, I love the personnel. I love the advanced metrics, the analytics. I just do not like Tomlin as a decision-making head coach. Is it just in-game? Because I agree with you. I think the famous George Costanza, if Tomlin did the opposite, anytime there was a a real decision, right? Obviously, you don't want to onside kick every time, right? But if it was a true, like, it could be A or B, I think if Tomlin did the opposite, he'd probably be better off. But how much, is that the whole thing? Is that what this is? It really is. I see his post-game interviews. I love the way he says, hey, I'm accountable for the team. This is what we need to do. He impresses me completely. And that game after game, though, during when he has to make a decision, I'd rather do the opposite. And... To me, I love that the Steelers stick with their coaches. I mean, Chuck Noll, I wonder on Twitter in 86, 87, you know, and I do Mark Malone every week on NBC National Radio, but 
you know, Malone to Cliff Stout to Bobby Brister, you know, there, there were there weren't Super Bowls that there, any expectations even. Uh, but we stayed with them. And to me, the idea that we've had, the Steelers have had, and I'm a big fan, three coaches since 1969 is awesome. Is awesome. But in a weird way, Tomlin's inclination to believe in himself prevents him, it seems, from growing. And again, I'm from the outside, but I get no sense that he's like, you know, I've got to look at this metagame stuff. I got to look at this. I get no sense of that. He's like, I go by my gut. And that seems to be all that matters. That's the problem because he never comes back and says, boy, you know what? Fourth and goal from the half yard line. We really should have gone for that instead of kicking the field goal. He never admits to an in-game mistake. And I, and to me, for him, it's not a mistake, right? Because he believes in his gut. And I, I just don't know how that gets any better. And again, this team has not made a Super Bowl since 2010. And you might say, well, and they haven't won since eight. And it's like, well, the Browns haven't made it ever. But look at this team. Big Ben, even certainly in the in, from 2010 onward till now, top five quarterback in the NFL. It's not even a, a conversation, I don't think. And for the last, you know, this is what? Le'Veon Bell's fifth year coming out. So four years of having one of the three best running backs and all of those years having Antonio Brown, one of the three best receivers, one of the five best offensive lines, especially since Munchak came over. The idea that that we're going to get out of this without even a Super Bowl appearance, likely. I I mean, I, I, I get that's a high bar, but I can tell you when Big Ben's gone, we're, uh, <laughs> we're going to look and, and there's going to be some six and 10 seasons. I'm guessing. Welcome to the Rudolph era. Well, again, I'm off to uh, people. I respect are optimistic with him. And, but, but again, I think what we're seeing from big Ben and his childishness. And again, I get it, right? The girl who was the hottest girl in high school usually doesn't have a good personality. It just, uh, sometimes they do, but usually they don't. Why? Cause they never needed to. Right? And Big Ben was a very big 11-year-old, and everyone was telling him, you're going to play in the NFL one day. And obviously he's a heck of a quarterback, but, boy, he doesn't seem like he's, uh, you know, I, I can't think anyone looks at what he's doing with Rudolph and, and think, oh, thumbs up. That's why I love Big Ben. But in a weird way, it's hard to blame him because when has he ever really been held accountable acting in any way other than he has. And obviously he has a, some history with, you know, questionable things before he got married. So, yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts on the Steelers? We covered them. Got them covered. I got a couple more thoughts. One, Le'Veon Bell's sitting out more crap. I am so, I, I want them to, I mean, as I'll put my fan hat on for a minute. I want them to cut this guy. It's fine. Running backs are a dime a dozen. I get he's a, he's better than the running backs we'd get as an alternative. Boy, I, I mean, uh, sign a D'Angelo Williams type, obviously the years have passed since then, but that was a heck of a signing. How different is it? Well, he's not just and a it's running 15 back. 15 or 18 million. What? He's a wide receiver That's, also. Well, he's not a wide receiver. He's a pass catching running back. Yes. And what I'm saying is we, he only wants 
some five-year deal. There's no way we're going to pay him that money. Th- or We might. It's a mistake. But through year nine or whatever. So if he if we're going to pay him $15 million this year to be crying the whole year, I think just I I think send him on his way, trade him, whatever. So, but big question there, and I think it was a big question with Big Ben. He's a very physical. Let's Peyton Manning, though he was injured, Peyton Manning was one of the best quarterbacks ever, and then two years later he got benched. They won the Super Bowl that year. He was the winning, but he was you know bottom quartile of the league, bottom quarter of the league. Big Ben's taking a lot of hits. His skill set is his mobility. I mean, when's you want to talk about Breeze hitting a wall? I mean, when's Big Ben hit a wall? That's got to be a big X factor here. Yeah, he could become Kenny Stabler within the next couple of years, just uh, suddenly falling off the cliff. The snake. Okay. Number four, the fourth best team in the NFL, according to Steve Fezzik. Number four, the Rams. I have them in the top four. Some will worry about the Rams regressing because they won four games, what, in 2016. Then, boom, 2017, they win the division. They're doing great. And basic strategy when you're betting is to say, hey, that's unsustainable. A team like that is going to come back to earth. I don't believe so. And the reason I don't believe so is because I think that 2016, that whole move to Los Angeles combined with a bad coach that they had back with Jeff Fisher. I love McVay over Fisher and Goff's improvement over the 2016 to 2017. I think this is a team that is not going to regress and will be every bit as good with some key free agent acquisitions as well. Now, I'm very interested as I finish chewing this uh, beef jerky. I'm, mm, I'm very interested are the Patriots out of the top five or the top three, the Eagles, the Vikings, or the Packers? Because when I have my list, all of them are above the Rams. And I might have the Saints above the Rams. So I'm interested. One last thing about the Rams. If you look at Goff on third down, horrible. Horrible. How good right now, where do you put Goff in your 1-32 to 32 quarterback ratings? Right in the middle, fifteen. So you've got them as the fourth best team with the 15th best quarterback. Yes. All right. And then I accept that. Most people, I don't agree, but most people is going to put golf in the, the, the top eight, top nine, you know, around seven, eight, nine, ten. I think that's just plain wrong. Number three team. Number three, Minnesota Vikings. And all about, in my opinion, a quarterback upgrade may not appear in September, but I like Kirk Cousins over Keenum by the end of the year, I think that this team, which was awesome last year, could be even better this year. Would you bet me $10,000 minimum bet that the QBR for Cousins is better than Keenum last year? No. Hmm. So if you expect Cousins to have a worse season, how do the Vikings improve? Maybe I should have said that I expect that Cousins is going to have a better year than Keenum would have had if he would have stayed with Minnesota. But we're comparing. I heard you say you think Minnesota is going to have a better year. All right. I misspoke. Minnesota won. You didn't misspeak. I I spoke incorrectly. Minnesota (laughs) won 13 games last year. So no team this year has a season win number at even 11 and a half. So that was overly optimistic. Thanks for enlightening me on this particular subject, RJ. 
Thanks, Wes. But again, I think the case could be made. Minnesota was the best team last year, right? I mean, obviously they lost to Philadelphia. It was one game, but you had them as high as anyone in the power ratings, right? Oh, absolutely. And let's face it, you know, they, you look at the point spreads that they were pulling at the end of the year. This team was a betters darling. And the, I guess, inside joke with the Keenum thing is he had the third, I think third best QBR in the league. And I agree with you. I would expect more out of cousins this year than Keenum. Uh, But boy, last year he had a heck of a year and obviously not a great NFC conference final team. Number two, Philadelphia Eagles. So here's a team that a lot of people will think regression. Again, they only won seven games in 2016 and then they win the Super Bowl. They're going to come back to earth. However, I would make the case that 2016, I saw the potential of this team. They were playing awesome. They were competing for a possible division um, championship. And then they had a lot of injuries. Wentz got all banged up in 2016. I identified this as, as a team that was a contender in 2017. And I don't see anything to change in 2018. The guys from the ringer have been so front and center with this concept. You are one of two teams. You have a quarterback on a rookie contract that you expect to not be great, but good. But you've got tens of millions of dollars because a rookie contract versus for Big Ben or Brady, 25 million or whatever, or 30 million, right, for Matt Ryan now, is you can buy great, great other positions, players for other positions, or you've got to have one of the best quarterbacks and understand you've got 25 less million. And even though golf might be 15, Hey, they got all that money to spend on other things. The Eagles seem to be in between or the best of both worlds. Right. Cause I think Wentz is where's Wentz on your one to 32. If he's a hundred percent healthy. Yeah. Top five. Mm, I think that's fair. I think the even pessimists are top seven, top eight. And They've got all this money. So, I mean, in a way, you were very prescient, which is what we're supposed to be. When we did the Colin Cowherd NFL preview, me and you, you said, and Colin, Colin, you responded to Colin when he asked, give me an unlikely Super Bowl team. Faz just stepped up to the mic and said, Haha, the Eagles. And come on now. How right was he? Faz is the number one gambler right now. And to me... I see why this continues, but I also think that dichotomy, does this team have a good young quarterback and a bunch of money to spend, or do they have a great quarterback? Teams that don't fall into that category, one of the two, I think there's trouble. And I know there's a lot of love for the Chargers and all that, but you know, is it a great, if you're getting $25 million, you got to be great. And to me, as I look at Big Ben's evolution, I would see the point where I'd rather let him go, pick a quarterback in the first or second or third round every year until you find the right one. And the theory is if you miss the first year, you're going to be in the top 10. Eh, it's a tough season. You pick another one. Statistically, in the first three years, you're going to get, you're going to get one, right? Because, uh, I mean, first rounds are about 60 now, 60% positive, you know, from 50-50. Second round, you know, think about the math of it. I think paying like an Eli or, or or Flacco massive money when they're not in the top 10 
is 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 a death knell to a team. Yeah, and oftentimes what happens, you mentioned two of the teams, is you get that Super Bowl ring or rings, and then you feel obligated to stick in with that guy and pay him that twenty plus million. Belichick's not obligated. You've got your they made their money. You're not trying to claw that money back. You got your ring. Now, you know how great I tell you this, as a Steeler fan, I would have hated if the Ravens would have not re-signed Flacco after the Super Bowl. <laughs> I would have. I would have thought, wow, how freaking ballsy is that? And it would have been a great move. There is a prop up. Will Lamar Jackson start a game? He's a two to one underdog in 2018. So plus 200 to start a game. Yes. Jeez. I, who's got that? I don't remember. I apologize. I tell you, I, I, I mean, just from injury, I mean, Flacco has been beat up a couple years. Huh? Interesting. Okay. We did five. We did four. We did three. We did two. Now, after one, we're going to hear Brad give us the one thing that Fezzik said he, that you most disagree with of all the NFL talk. And one of the things we've talked about is Brad's knowledge of college football helps him so much in the NFL because he knows these young players so much better. So now, before we get to number one. I love Jimmy G. <laughs> You're going to be hearing a lot of that. So, Fez, before we get to one, I love Jimmy G. How much money would you pay me never to use that drop again? Because I'll be honest with you, we were all laughing about it before. And I could tell by the look on your face, I'm very good at reading people. You actually didn't, like, it bothered you. It, it, it like, deep down, I love Jimmy G. It bothered you. Yeah, but I do love Jimmy G. Keep I know, it. but you know. Keep it. Keep oh, it. So now he's trying to fake. You know how like when a brother and sister's like, you know, how bad do you want the backseat? I don't want the backseat. Re-raise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, you're challenging me. Re-raise with air. <laughs> <laughs> Number one team. Number one team. Is it going to be the Green Bay Packers? Is it going to be the New England Patriots? Come on. Of course, it's the Patriots, the Patriot way. I was worried about their focus. And of course, I worry about the Super Bowl hangover, but they're the Patriots. I'm seeing them being focused. They're number one. So that's been the debate. Gronk might not play, and then he's going to play. What we said on the show, what we said on Straight Out of Vegas, our Fox National show, is the idea that if they don't pick a quarterback in the first round, they're focused on this year, the Patriots. So to me, that's a leading indicator. But just with the signings, just with the, you know, we can't predict the draft. We've been pretty strong about uh, that opinion. Don't you feel like there are much, uh, and maybe that's the question, how much, how downgraded are the Patriots now from entering the Super Bowl? Yeah, I got them six and a half points better than an average team. That's not as good as they were six months ago. I had them eight points better than an average team. So I have downgraded them, but they're still number one. And the odds back that up, plus 650 as a favorite. Let's quickly look at the two teams that you have left out of the top 10 and really, to me, put the Rams in instead. Packers. Uh, you don't have to give me where they are because we'll be talking 6 through 10 next week. Why are you down on the Packers relative to the rest of the Vegas market? Not 100% sure Aaron Rodgers will be 100%. Just just off the injury? Off, he, off the injury and also, RJ. But remember, he came back and played pretty well like, like, like seven months ago, Come or at least seven months from the kickoff of this season. Is he going to be willing to keep running the ball and scrambling with, all, with this injury history? 
it's possible that he stays in the pocket more. He won't be as effective. Hmm. And anything else? That's the key. Okay. That's interesting. And then the Saints. Saints are similar. I've got them out of my top five because Drew Brees is 38. And I'm very concerned that like Big Ben, he hasn't been eating kale every every morning for breakfast. Is he suddenly going to show regression? He has not shown it. He was incredible last year, but it's unrealistic to think quarterbacks in their late 30s are going to be able to continue at that level. Great stuff from Fezzik. The only guy to win the Super Contest twice, which is the World Series of Poker of NFL betting, million-dollar prizes in the Super Contest, and Fez won it. Uh, now, it wasn't millions when you won it, unfortunately. It's grown, but you won in what, 9 and 10, 2009, 2010? 2008, 2009, got paid the beginning of the following year, beat about 300 people, picked up about 220,000 each year. As good of an NFL, in my opinion, better than any public handicapper, you can follow him on Twitter, at Fezzik Sports, F-E-Z-Z-I-K, at Fezzik Sports, F-E-Z-Z-I-K, on Twitter. I love Jimmy G. Okay, Brad. What was the one thing Fezzik said, other than what he apologized <laughs> for disagreeing with me about, that you disagree with? Yeah, my biggest disagreement is the ranking of the Rams at four, a team that I don't have in my top five or top six. I just generally speaking, Fez, and I'm going to use your own words against you here, but you know, you look at the Rams, go from a last place schedule in 2017, this year to a first place schedule in that division. We already know that Fez loves Jimmy G, so you got a 49ers team going from, what, five, six games with Jimmy G to possibly 16 games with Jimmy G starting. So you like San Francisco to be improved. And last week, you and I, Fez, pregame.com, you can find these videos. We did a video. You love Arizona to be at least much better than expected as far as the market right now. So what is it, Fez? You can't love all the same teams in the one division. I mean, I just think their schedule is going to get tougher. I agree, but my power ratings have nothing to do with how many games a team's going to win. They're just how good a team is. That's a great question, yep. right? And because when people see the stack rankings on future odds, people see the win totals. It's like, oh, this is how good they are. And in a way, I was talking about it in a similar fashion. But as we say again and again, whatever it is you're betting on, the number of wins, chance to win the Super Bowl, it's how good you are and the difficulty of the journey, of the path. And so in a weird way, you might say, hey, if I said who's going to win more games, the Steelers or the Rams, you, I might think you'd want to bet me even money on the Rams and I take the Steelers, but I bet you wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would bet the Rams on a neutral against the Steelers, but I would bet the Steelers to win more games because of the easier schedule. Great stuff. That was said very well. Good question, yes. Brad. Good question. Last thing on the NFL, CGT. Uh, formerly Cantor Gaming, came out with their week two through 16, not 17 because of people sitting and all that, players sitting potentially, every game, unless it was off the board. Now, how many games? So we're looking at, what, 15 weeks? Because week one's out everywhere. 15 weeks, the CGs got up pretty much exclusively. How many games off the board, If you just off the top of your head? Bet about one per week, so okay. 15 bets. And how many, uh, so in 15 weeks, not counting 17, not counting one, how many bets have you made so far? This came out earlier this week. I made 15 bets. No, no, not just one a week, though. Not just one a week. Some of, some weeks, three, four, other weeks, none. Now, I'm always interested. Is there one team that you bet against a bunch because you just think they're overrated? One team you bet on a bunch because you think they're underrated? 
No, pretty much it was different teams across the board. Okay, so that means you saw situations that you liked, not just taking getting exposure for against a team. Actually, RJ, it wasn't situations. It was much more power ratings. I was looking for what I felt were just too disparate a point spread versus my power ratings in my plays. But think about that. What is going to create disparity in a power rating? It's going to be your ratings being differently than the mathematics of the spread. If you thought one team was three points better than CGT did, then you'd be, you probably would have bet on them eight or 10 or 12 weeks, right? Or three points worse or even two points. So what I'm, what I'm hearing is you and CG's power ratings are probably within a half point or point on every game or every team, and the only time you found dispar- enough disparity, disparate enough, was when you were like a half a point of disagreement on both teams or maybe a point on one and a half on the other and added up it was enough to, to trigger a play. That, yes, and also I think that CGT did a little bit too much homework on the spots and oftentimes, in my opinion, over-adjusted for a favorable spot. And I can give you one specific example of a bet I made. Week six, Thursday game. So typically we like to bet on the home team week six because the road team has less of a time to prepare. So Philadelphia is at the New York Giants. It's a good spot for the Giants. But CGT made that spread three, Philly minus three. And even though it's a bad spot for Philly, there is no way, RJ, that the Eagles shouldn't be favored by at least four points in that game. They're so much better than the Giants. I got to tell you, Fez delivered today. Good, yeah, good stuff. So and he, he'll be back with the, uh, he's an originator in the NBA. We'll be back with some, a uh, bunch of NBA talk, including again, a, we agree on a surprising LeBron take. And of course my NFL best bet week one comes at the end of the podcast. Listen to him. He, he could host. I might just retire. <laughs> Everyone say, no, no, RJ, no. <laughs> Thanks guy. I appreciate that. Okay, let's talk college football. Let's get Brad in the mix here, and then NBA is coming up next. All right, so, Brad, we are talking Pac-12, and I want to start I want to start with the lead here because I'm fascinated. You told us in prep, show prep, you've got one team that there's a factor that is, is the biggest factor you've seen where you think one thing and Vegas thinks another. And pretty much that one factor is leading you to take off the rubber band when it comes to this team. It's Arizona State. And that one factor for Arizona State is the hire of their new head coach, Herm Edwards. I think most of the market thinks it's a questionable hire. I don't think it's a questionable hire. I think it could be possibly the worst hire in college football in the last two decades. Here's a guy. Herm two Ed- decades. Two decades. Of all the coaches. And let's keep that in perspective. I mean, Charlie Weiss in Kansas? Mm. You know, I don't one think one. <laughs> well, no, I mean, okay, one, two, three games a year in Kansas. That's what they've been doing since Charlie Weiss left. So I, I think past perspective, it wasn't as terrible hire as what we thought. But this one has a possibility of being that. And here's why: I mean, Herm Edwards hasn't coached in college football since 1989. Hasn't coached period since 2008. But he carries this big name, a big ESPN personality. Oh, Herm Edwards. I mean, that's a big name. Maybe Arizona State could improve. That's not going to be the case for me. In fact, I questioned the hire almost immediately. Couldn't, you know, I got a little greedy, RJ. I was hoping season win totals would be coming out a little earlier. As soon as I saw that hire, I, I, it was kind of a WTF moment for me. 
because Arizona State, back to last year, season win total was four and a half. They won seven games in the regular season. Here's a team that overachieved. I liked the the, the head coaching job that uh, that, uh, Todd Graham did last year. They get rid of a coach. And it's more of a cronyism type of coach. The, the, the athletic the new hire, you mean? Okay. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. The players, the other coach, obviously the other coaches didn't want their head coach fired because most of the time a new guy might keep one coach typically. Has that been what you've seen? Yep. And they like some continuity, but most of them are out the door looking for, you know, moving their kids again, et cetera, et cetera. Did you get a sense the players wanted the coach for Arizona State to stay, were they disappointed when he got fired? Maybe slightly disappointed. Here's the, the the unique thing. The athletic director, Ray Anderson, already had to be thinking it was going to be a questionable hire because he hired Herm Edwards to be a CA, CEO type, and the expectation was the offense coordinator would stay, the defensive coordinator would stay. We just needed a change at the top at the head coaching position. Well, what happened as soon as Herm Edwards got named head coach, the offense coordinator and defense coordinator didn't even coach the bowl game. They were out of there. They, they wanted no part of the Herm Edwards era. That, to me, spoke volumes. Now, do we know that it was about Herm, them leaving, or did they, get, did they make a lateral move? Like, where did they go? Um, a lot of them went. The, the one retired, Phil Bennett. The, the so he said, player. "I'd rather just retire. I'd rather retire." Wow, than coach another That's year. A, that that is a statement. Yes. Wow. And I think that's something that if you don't follow college football really closely on the inside, is the amount of an AD wants his guy. He wants to go down with his guy, and and not saying that's wrong in a way, but boy, when you see a coach get fired that you think his performance doesn't warrant losing his job, it's oftentimes about not being the AD, the new AD's guy. And in, in this case, Ty Graham wasn't Ray Anderson's guy. But who is Ray Anderson's guy, the athletic director? Herm Edwards. It's not about merit in this, uh, at least in this instance, because how could it be? I, I have no prior head coaching experience at the college level for Herm Edwards. But what is interesting is Ray Anderson, the AD, and Herm Edwards – Really good buddies, same agent, really go back being friends for last two, three decades. To me, any successful organization business usually isn't successful by hiring your buddies and cronyism. And it's fascinating because we're in a world of social media. We're in a world of television being everywhere and, and, and on your TV, on your little phone, etc. And whatever, obviously we have people all along the political spectrum to listen to the dream preview and our podcasts. But I think even the strongest Trump fan would say the way he was presented on the apprentice was like, you know, the best businessman in the history of the world. Um, and some listeners are saying, Oh, he, he's really not even worth a billion. It's like, Oh, so if somehody was worth 900 million, he'd be a loser, you know, but his daddy gave it all to him, you know, whatever. Right. None of that. that that's all boring to me. Each direction. Right. You can say Trump's worth 20 billion. You can say he's worth only a half billion. It's boring. What I know is he very him and Burnett, one of the great uh, reality TV guys in history, partnered on that show. And it was hard to watch that and not think Trump knows what he's doing. Right. That was their job. And he was elected president. I I don't I think most serious people believe if it wasn't for the apprentice, he would have had no chance to be elected president. Um, 
And it was an amazing thing that a non-politician was elected at all, but it took that kind of branding. John Gruden. If you look at Gruden's record, he won a Super Bowl, so let's give him credit. But boy, it's been, this feels very analogous to me. So in general, are you looking to, you know, fade the Raiders? Yeah, my only season win total bet in the NFL so far was under on the Oakland Raiders. So very analogous. But I think even worse in this case, because at least John Gruden has won at the highest level of the NFL, won that Super Bowl. Herm Edwards, again, has not written, well, didn't win at the NFL, and again, has no college head coaching experience or assisting coach experience at that level. Super convincing best bet here. And it's on the under on the win total? Under season win total for Arizona State. So if anything's priced at... So so what's the worst price you're betting? Meaning if it's a little bit more than that, you're not? Uh, five. Okay, so you're going under five minus 110. Under five minus 110. And and if it's better than that, even Ooh. more. Yes, absolutely. Whoa, make me rich! Make me rich! Whatever you can drop all right, we got it. <laughs> I like that. All right, next one. So we, we did the overrated, Pac-12, underrated. Underrated. California, in my opinion, forget the Pac-12, one of the most underrated teams in the entire country. A lot of people don't know about California, but a team that was profitable last year in the first year under their head coach, Justin Wilcox, exceeded expectations, but still only won five games. So California still flying a little bit under the radar. This California team, number one that I like, is the returning experience. The most experienced team in the Pac-12, 18 returning starters. Number two, a very underrated coaching staff. Not only Justin Wilcox, the head coach, entering year two, so he's more familiar with the player personnel, but I thought he made two terrific coordinator hires that a lot of people overlook. Bo Baldwin, the offense corner, one of the best coaches at the FCS level. You know, he got it. He was able to get him. Offensive was improved. And then Tim DeRuder, another Guy with the head coaching experience, yeah, he failed at Fresno State, but was a good defense coordinator at Texas A&M. To get a guy like that at California was obviously very good for California because the most improved defense in the country last year was California. That was what California was struggling for so many years was the defense side of the ball and their Sonny Dykes. This will be the best Cal defense probably in a decade. And because the you know public likes to bet offense more than anything, I think we're getting a lot of value here. A California team has only topped five wins one time in the last six years. This team's going to bowl this year. Anything at five and a half, five, I'm going over their season win total. Taking off the rubber band. Okay. USC, Washington, UCLA, all great stories. Let's do about 30, 40 seconds on each. What's And again, I'm always in, this is the thing about Vegas. And it, listen, Vegas is, it, it, it's not easy. A normal sports talk guy, podcast guy, just has to be right. In Vegas, we've got to be right, and we've got to be contrary. If we agree with everyone else, well, the Vig just eats you up. The city he invented was Las Vegas. So tell me something about Washington, USC, UCLA, where you disagree with the market. Obviously, these aren't your favorite overrated, underrated, but hey, Chip Kelly's going to start slow, or blah, blah, blah. 
Uh, favorite is Washington. I'm buying Washington. One of my biggest futures bets as far as to win the national title this year, Washington 40 to 1. I thought was exceptional value. Markets agreed with me because in most places, Washington's now not 40 to 1. We're looking at 20 to 20 to 1, 25 to 1. Clear cut by at least a touchdown. The best team in the Pac 12, Washington. One of the most experienced teams. A top five to top 10 head coach in the country in Chris Peterson. A four year starting quarterback, four year starting running back. One of the best defenses in the country. Country and a great schedule. Washington doesn't play USC in the regular season, might in the Pac-12 championship game, gets the third best team in the Pac-12, Stanford at home. After the Auburn game in the opener, Washington will be a favorite by at least a touchdown in their remaining 11 games. And you bet them at 40 to 1. 40 to 1. And right now it's like 25 to 1. 25 to 1. Brad's ahead of the moves, ahead of the moves. Let's talk USC. USC, and this is interesting because we did the Straight Out of Vegas show on Saturday night, and I was looking to really fade USC. Well, in the last three, four days, I watched the USC spring game, and I got a different take. It's not like I'm buying USC this year, but here's where I think the greatest value is. On a game-in and game-out basis for the most part, I'm going to be looking at least early on if there's some value playing the under the totals in their games because what I thought I was kind of Joe Public. I saw a USC team, wow, they lose their bet their quarterback, Sam Darnold, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, lose one of their best running backs in the country in Ronald Jones, lose their top wide receiver in Deontay Burnett. I'm, I want to fade USC. Well, the reality is they're only weaker at the skill positions, at those three positions. At every other position, I think USC is much stronger than last year. And here's a team, if you watch the spring game, Clay Helton, make no bones about it, said we are going to be a running football team this year, not a passing up-tempo type of team this year. We're going to run the football, get behind our offensive line that's got four returning starters, and also defensively, at least from what I can tell, this is the best USC defense that they've had in the Pete Carroll era. I'm going to be at under in their games, at least the first three, four. Brad Powers killing it. One last team. We want to talk. I'm a Cali guy. I'm a Chip Cali guy. I think kind of the opposite of you never get fired for buying IBM. I think with Chip Kelly, as long as he won more than anyone could reasonably expect, he was fine. When he, even though he won in three years, 10 games twice in the NFL without a great quarterback, though Nick Foles in hindsight, we can say maybe he was better than we thought. But again, that's a big question. We know he was great in the Super Bowl. But to me, when you are so contrary, when you are so innovative, to the point that Bill Belichick's coming to visit you, not vice versa. A lot of innovation, I think, with Kelly. The question is, can he win? Now, we know he won at Oregon. So I'm interested to hear what's your thoughts this year, but also what's your five-year projection. You, I love the Chip Kelly hire. Uh, can win and will win. Uh, maybe not this year. Number one factor for me is obviously UCLA lost a, you know, a generational quarterback there in Josh Rosen, one of the best quarterbacks they've had in the last two decades, uh, lost a first round left tackle, uh, lost a couple of their best defensive players to draft. And obviously Chip Kelly has a specific system, a very different system than what UCLA has been running the last seven to 10 years. So it's going to take some time. And the most important factor for me, UCLA arguably has the toughest schedule in the country this year. When you're, the easiest game is Cincinnati. <laughs> I'm a Cincinnati team that had the best recruiting class out of all the group of five. When you, That's your easiest game. You have a tough schedule. In addition to Cincinnati, they got Oklahoma in the non-conference. They pull all the top uh, teams from the Pac-12 North. Tough schedule. I think UCLA lucky to make a bowl this year. But year two, year three, I fully expect them to compete for Pac-12 titles. Check out the big brain on Brad. 
Good stuff. The boys are bringing it. One last thought on Kelly. I'm a huge believer in the following, and this applies to any first-year coach, even more with Kelly. What happens? Coach gets fired for a reason. Disappointment. Now, in the rarest cases, an Osborne retires or whatever. Okay, but except for those rare cases, the guy you, you're getting the job because the prior guy didn't do a good job in the eyes of the decision makers. Now, the change, ooh, it's like the guy that's been in seven relationships and he starts his eighth one, and during his eighth one at the beginning, he's like, oh, this is fresh, this is new, I think this one's going to work. Women, we can lay. But the eighth one usually goes down too. But change equals excitement. So expectations are up. But the reality is new coaches, new system, and that's where the Kelly thing gets even bigger. This is as extreme of a change as you can make to a very different system. So what ends up happening, usually ATS disappointment early in a season. And then late in the season, once the public perception has turned and people are mad because they've lost so much money, that's just when the team starts to get it. And you hear the kids, and Brad, you watch the press conferences and all that, you'll hear the kids saying, yeah, you know, last week we started getting it, and this week it really came together. Right? You hear that yep. about the new system. So I think be careful of Kelly early, but be careful of fading Kelly and UCLA last, let's say, four games of the year. Powerful point. And you made it on straight out of Vegas. Couldn't agree more. And I think on top of that, what's going to help, or at least in that situation, is their most high-profile game, UCLA, week two at Oklahoma. Everyone's going to probably remember UCLA getting their teeth kicked in by three, four touchdowns. And that'll be the lasting memory, at least for the first six, seven games. People will be thinking, ah, UCLA is no good uh, this year. I think there will be value at the end of this season for UCLA if you want to play on them. Follow Brad on Twitter at Brad Powers 7. Brad Powers, P-O-W-E-R-S, and the Mysterious 7. A lot of good stuff. And he he's on it when it comes to, oh, this book came up with uh, opened up their first futures and first win totals, Big 12. But my best buddy George is always, Brad put this out today. That's how I find out about a lot of this stuff. All right, Fez, two questions. College football to wrap. One, what do you agree with the most of all of his good info, and what do you disagree with the most? I don't have a disagreement. My, oh, my, my, come on. my agreement. No, hold on. Yeah, every word he says, <laughs> you agreed with. I was betting like on my app while he was talking here. Uh, I love the emphasis, RJ, on the new hire, the new head coach. And think about it. This is a powerful concept here. For It's very difficult for a bookmaker when there's a brand new head coach that comes in to evaluate whether a team's going to get better or worse. You look at a team like Florida Atlantic, Brad nailed that last year. Their season win number was four. They had a great hire. They won, what, they won 10 games, Brad? And it makes such a difference in the power ratings. If you can properly price that new coach, or like you mentioned, RJ, forecast he might struggle initially and then get better, you can find some really great wagers, much more so than a team that's had the same coach, same personnel for years, their power rating typically is not going to change much. And not a single word you disagreed with. Honestly, not a one. (laughs) Now, part of that is I haven't done enough research in college football to know to disagree. I'll take that one. I'll take that one. Pregame.com, I'm RJ Bell. That was the eternal optimist Steve Fezzik. 
Brad Powers just killed it. We got Mackie in the room. We're not sure. After that, too. Oh, the feedback on that two dinners. Ooh, wow. Maybe we'll hear about that real quick. All right, Mac, you got about 45 seconds. Your mic's on. So how was the feedback on the, uh, we could call it the two dinner incident, I think should be the name moving forward. Oh, I like double dinner better, but you're the, the branding master. So well, you can go double, with that. Okay. The double dinner incident. I'll take it. Yeah. Right. The double dinner. I got a, uh, lot of flack for it. The friends and the family were pretty disappointed in my behavior. So you told your mom, like <laughs> yeah. you called your mom. Oh, this is great actually. So like, I mean, I got it. <laughs> so it's like. You call so you were living in California, and, right. and and when you went to school, and what was it called, Pomona? Pomona College. That's right. You're getting it. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I still don't believe it. How close was that to your your mom, your home? Uh, about an hour away. She lives about an hour. Yeah. Away so you would visit a couple times a month. Yeah. Yeah. See each other all the time. So close, close to your mom. Absolutely. That's a wonderful thing. I you know. So. I'm just listening to music. <laughs> so you moved to Vegas. Now, was she against you moving to Vegas? No, she was all for it. She was like, uh, follow the dream. Follow the dream. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he's been working hard, guys. So you're, one day you might think, Mac, you might just disappear. You won't hear about him anymore. Maybe. But so far, thumbs up. Now, after the double dinner incident, did you call? I called. And said, Mom, I got something to tell you. <laughs> you never and believe- she said, listen, doesn't matter. I'm I'm gonna love you either way. I've I always know I I always knew nothing like that. She just started cracking up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and did she say why'd you do it? Like like that's the question I'm thinking you're getting. Like why why? <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> why? why? How could you? <laughs> so for those that didn't listen last week, is <laughs> good stuff from Mackie. There is. Mackie went to dinner for the first time with us and he ordered two dinners and he didn't even eat the first one. And he packed it up with a smile and drove off in the night. <laughs> and keep in mind, he wasn't paying for those. Dinners oh, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, no one, I tell you, I think it was you, Brad was one of going, did he really order? Like everyone's whispering. Like they thought I was kidding. I, when you first told me the story, I thought you were joking. There's no way. And then I had to think, well, did he go first in the ordering process? Or was he just thinking that everyone's, like, yeah, everyone's gonna, just going to order two dinners? Yeah. No, he went last. <laughs> Wow, that's strong. <laughs> I don't know if strong's the word. <laughs> that's gutsy. <laughs> you must have felt confident about how good he's doing at work. Yeah, I guess he's, so. He's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna create my own bonus. <laughs> the double dinner bonus. Hey now. <laughs> Quick commercial break here. Bet DSI. Now, listen, we're part of the Podcast One family. Specifically, we got a special deal with Adam Carolla. Guys at Podcast One have been great, really helping this show blow up in a way, the dream preview that uh, really was beyond our expectations. And we think next football is going to be much, much bigger. And we're so excited about it. As you can tell, we're doing the work in May for football. And when... Bet DSI started advertising through Podcast One and wanted to be part of the Dream Preview as an advertiser. They, you know, they didn't know how they were going to do. So they bought a couple weeks 
And apparently the response has been massive. So one, I want to hear how it's going, right? So anytime on Twitter with any of our advertisers, um, you know, the best we can do is I can go to podcast one and say, hey, here's so-and-so is having a problem or not. Now, so far I haven't heard a one problem, so that's great. But at RJ in Vegas, if I can hand you guys off to podcast one and have them help with anything, with any of our advertisers, but I feel great. The response so far has been so strong that Bet DSI bought a placement on the Dream Preview all the way through next Super Bowl. Wow. So on one hand, that's a great sign about, you know, how committed is this? Because the great fear, I think, with any online sports book is, are they just going to disappear? Because the reality is, in the past, that's happened. Not a bunch, but it's happened. And here's what I've always seen. The books that don't spend, that stop spending money. Maybe they spent money in the past. Maybe they never spent money. For them, what's at risk? A brand that doesn't mean all that much. So usually the people that's got ripped off over the years have been the ones that, you know, saw some book and or some sports book in some magazine. And in hindsight, it looked good, but they, they didn't put any money. Maybe they had a buddy helping with that ad. Maybe they had a couple hundred customers and then eventually they just disappeared into the night. Almost like Mackie and I, the, the double dinner. <laughs> but if you have a bad DSI making and prepaying, quite frankly, <laughs> is such a commitment, prepaying podcast one, they're in it to build a brand. You might say, well, what about next year? Okay. But if, you, if you're spending a bunch of money, it's to build a brand for the long term. And, you know, you look at analogous books like, and when I say analogous, because bad DSI really is looking to connect with the uh, recreational betting market. If you're betting, you know, three, four, that Fez, that's, you know, bet DSI is not for a guy like you betting, you know, five, 10 K a game, but a vast majority of listeners, a vast majority of betters are betting 500 or less. And they cater to that audience. And to me, as much as you'll hear people say, Oh, I don't like Bovada or sportsbook.ag. I don't like them. And again, I hear a lot of bad things about pretty much every book from some people. You know, it's, it's like anything else. If there's 10,000 people in there, the 10 people that are, let's say there's only 10 that's pissed, they're going to be the loudest, right? But here's what I saw from the Bovadas and the sportsbook.ags. They're still here. It's the old famous James Conn line. From The Way of the Gun, a movie that's not particularly well known, but he was like maybe 65 at the time and he was messing with his young punk. <laughs> You're nothing but a street punk from Billions this week. Great ending of that episode is he goes, you know, this is my James Conn, right? You know what they you can be sure of about a an old man? And the kid goes, what? And he says, he's a survivor, which is true. It's just true. He survived. Well, what I know is the books, for the most part, that spent the big money whenever have survived because they've had that long-term vision. So to me, with BetDSI, the fact they're spending not just with Podcast One, but but in many places, is a sign that their ambitions are to be along around and along for the ride, but around for a long time. Time. So what do we got going? NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, UFC 224, the Players Championship with golf, baseball. 
et cetera, et cetera. And if you use Dream 25 when you sign up, you get special offers and such, and you get, we get credit, which helps us the next time they're looking to pay, which helps us keep the Dream Preview free and keep us putting so much time and effort into it. So in my opinion, and we'll be talking about this in future weeks, the easiest thing for a sports better to do to improve his results is make sure he has three books. Now, Faz, you have, and we won't get any specifics into this. How many outs do you have right now? Dozens. Dozens. So 24 or 36. Well, more like 15. Once it goes past like 12, it just becomes so complicated, RJ, you can't check them all. All right. So, and I want to do some math on this because my gut feeling, just doing a little bit of math in my head, is like if you have three books versus 15, that I think that we're going to get the same line. Now, if there's stray props and all that, that's a different story. But on a widely available game, I think we get the same. I get the be- as good a line as you, I think, 87% of the time is my guess. Yeah, I like that number. There's huge diminishing returns. You don't get much value out of that eighth, ninth, and tenth book. But if you have one book, I'm probably getting the, the as good a number as you as what, 40% of the time? Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes it's going to be painted, right? So to me is, and again, listen, if you don't want to, if, if online makes you uncomfortable, then it's an easy answer, right? But if you ever play online, getting to that third book offers a ton of value and it's not much effort. And one of the special offers with the Dream 25 is on your first deposit, you actually get up to a matching offer of $2,500. So if you're looking to put a nice chunk in, obviously there's a big return there. Other good offers too. So it is betdsi.com. They've committed to podcast one and let us know how it's going. But so far, apparently great. Use the coupon code DREAM25. And listen, you're going to want to have your three ready for football. So if you're playing now, now's a good time to sample and see if BetDSI is one of them. And remember, all sports books, there's always a chance for misunderstanding. Right? I love Amazon, but I have I actually ordered a mirror once for the wife. And I mean once like a couple months ago. I And the mirror came. It was a $220 foot to floor me or, or uh, floor to, you know, above your head, you know, like six foot tall, seven foot tall mirror. And it arrived in, and the glass was in like 400 pieces. Yeah. It wasn't like one crack. <laughs> you would think Amazon had figured out how to send a mirror, right? Cause they figure out everything. And it sat in my little conversation pit, right? My house was built in Vegas. It's an old house, 79. And it has a conversation pit where like in the seventies, I guess they'd have key parties and go in the conversation pit. It sat there for four months. Finally, my buddies came out from Ohio and I said, guys, let's just get this thing out of here. So anyway, you're all, there's a chance you're going to have a problem no matter where you're at. At least though, with a book like bat DSI, you know, you've got a way to, to make sure you get the attention you deserve. If you do have a, a misunderstanding or a problem, BetDSI.com, use Dream25 to get all the advantages. Okay, another big commitment here, Dollar Shave Club. Now, I'm sure you've heard, if you listen to any other pods about Dollar Shave Club, they've been with us a few weeks, and this is what's been different for me in the last week or so. 
Uh, and I'll be honest, being RJ has its advantages. I got a sent to me a collection of various different things. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, all kind of cool things. One wipe, Charlie's, and shave butter. And I started using them. Listen, for anyone listening out there, you send me something for free, I'm going to use it. Now, it has to be in a sealed package. Don't send any cookies or whatever. Remember when Tony Soprano and the stripper gave him the cookies? Oh, I think it was a cake or something. He said thanks and dropped it right in the garbage tray, <laughs> like right when she turned around. So sealed up stuff, I'll use it for free, all right, if you send it for free. But here's the thing. I don't like most of the stuff I use, to be candid. I use it once, and there you go. This stuff was awesome. So there's a reason you've heard of Dollar Shave Club. It's because they've got good products. And, you know, we're going to be talking about it as the weeks go by, but I was thinking about it and I'm not shaving right now, actually. And I think I am a cautionary tale of that is why don't you shave? And I've thought about it recently because we've been talking about it. And usually it's like I either don't have the shaving cream or I don't have a clean. And again, there's nothing worse than one of those razors. And if you're buying them ad hoc, as in, and let's be honest, mostly guys are listening now, right? So if you have a significant other, maybe they're the ones going to the store. I'm old school, perhaps, you know, who knows, is I know it's the case in my house, but here's the thing. They're not always getting it every time. And then they get it. And then it, it, it's like you put it one place, you forget where it's at. The idea of having it delivered to me is and, and if you just told me, RJ, whenever you might, because I'm not going to shave every day anyway, but I'm an, in a perfect world, I'm an every other day guy, you know, 15 times a month. If you had exactly a nice sharp razor and all the different creams and conditioners and all that stuff sitting right there for me, like I had a valet, I would never not shave. Like who, that'd be crazy. Oh, I don't want to take the 30 seconds to do it or the three minutes. It's all the other hassles. So with Dollar Shave Club, you know, you might think, oh, you're paying a premium because you're getting the convenience. No, that's the point of these subscription services is you oftentimes are paying less than the store and it's delivered right to your door. And here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club products for just five bucks, not one, not two, not three, not four, five bucks. You can get their daily essentials starter set. It comes with. Body cleanser, one wipe Charlie's, the world famous shave butter, and their best razor, the six blade executive. That sounds, remember the executive game in the Sopranos? Ooh. No. <laughs> you shouldn't say that, Brad, yeah. if you didn't hear. Keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash dream. So this isn't a promo code. This is the URL. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash dream. D-R-E-A-M. Try it out for five bucks. I mean, come on now. Talk about it. Give it a try and see if you like it. Obviously, Dollar Shave Club is successful for a reason. You can help us and, quite frankly, help yourself. One last thing, though. Pretty much they sent me all the stuff you guys can get. So I was feeling all big time. Like they sent me this smorgasbord of stuff and it's like for five bucks, all the listeners can get it. (laughs) 
So in a weird way, I'm very conflicted right now. On one hand, I'm thinking, wow, anyone that's half tempted to get this is going to go get it for the five bucks and sample it. On the other hand, I don't feel nearly as big time as I did at the beginning of that ad. You're listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. NBA time. Fez, take a swig on that Mountain Dew. Let's do it, baby. Shake that, shake that in the mic. <laughs> it's all watery, and he just yeah. hits the mic with yeah. it. <laughs> I guess that was better than just silence. Yeah. I was so fascinated when we were talking before, because to me, as the host, I'm always thinking, what's the questions that people are asking? And, you know, when I grew up and was in Ohio and was reading people online and stuff, I would love to think, oh, if only I could ask so-and-so this or so-and-so that. And that's what I try to do here is figure out what does the listeners want to hear about because that's going to be something I think that that if I ask the right questions, they're going to be fascinated by the answer. So here's my question. The Cavs, LeBron, swept the number one seed. I think that most people are given a ton of credit to the Cavs. I think there's some savvy people that are blaming Toronto. Hey, Cavs did it, but it's more about Toronto playing badly than it is about the Cavs playing so well. Where do you come down? I'm going to give 60% of the blame to Toronto and what's between their ears as well as their performance. So 60%, not 58 60. Well, 58. I rounded to 60. <laughs> so it is 58. It is 58. I baited you into that. All right. So I think most listeners are going to be thinking, but again, if you're a dream preview listener, you're probably a little bit more savvy. Let's be honest. Are thinking LeBron's back, right? We were saying after the regular season, for seed, that's historically, or been a decade or so since the team was that bad or more. And, oh, seven games, and yeah, they didn't turn it on. But, boy, we saw them turn it on against Toronto. But you're saying no. Yeah, give them credit. Give them credit. But more Toronto. So what was it? Because let's be candid, full disclosure, brain surgeon, is you had a series bet. On Toronto. I bet Toronto minus 185 to win the series. Oh, he, he could have just said he bet Toronto. Now he's talking about that he laid the lumber. <laughs> Think about it. I laid the lumber on a team that got swept. And I blame myself, RJ. All the warning signs were there. I ran my little analytics. The math said this <laughs> the, team. The little analytics. The, 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 the math got said out the abacus. Toronto. The abacus said Toronto is the best team in the East. And it's not even close. Their point differential was like over seven points versus their opponents. Cleveland barely outscored their opponents during the regular season. But at the end of the year, and RJ told me, watch out, be careful, Fez, because 
Toronto hadn't been able to beat Cleveland all year long. There were two games in Cleveland, back-to-back. Both games, Toronto lost close games. And I said, RJ, they're locked into the number one seed. It doesn't matter that much to them. Wrong! They never beat Cleveland. Of course it mattered to them, and they couldn't do it. And by the time the playoffs rolled around, it was in their head. I think it's hard to say that this was all Cleveland. And I would make the following case, and I think I'm probably even strong. I think it's 70% Toronto to blame, 30% Cavs. And I made the case, and I'll make it now, that I don't know if Cleveland played any better in this series than they did in the Pacer series. Now, I guess if saying obviously they, they laid some eggs in the Pacer series. So I guess they didn't lay any eggs here, but did it, they did lay an egg in the first game, but they were down 15 and, but they were allowed to come back. So, I mean, what, let me ask you this in a more micro micro sense. What did Cleveland do better in this series than they did against the Pacers that went seven? Two guys upgraded big time. I think Kevin Love was banged up during the Pacers series. He was shooting two for 10, three for 10, not scoring all. He was back to his old self in the second round. And George Hill missed games four, no, five, on, and six. Hold on a second. I think that's too simple. And I talked to, and again, I love the X's and O's, guys. Not your strongest suit, but you admit it. So let's put it out there for consideration. Is Toronto had a big, big man. And when they played Kevin Love at the five, and let's give Lou some credit, it was this big guy that couldn't guard love. So how much was it that loves all of a sudden better or healthy, some mystery injury, or how much of it is this was a perfect matchup for love. He had a lumbering old school guy trying to guard him. That's a good point. Valens is not exactly a nimble guy. So that definitely was part of Kevin love playing better. So do we expect that to continue? Is there some perfect matchup against the likely you know, Celtics matchup. I think he was healthier, also though. But what 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 makes you know that? Oh, I don't. So what? Then why do because you he, think that? Well, during the Pacers series, he actually fell to the ground. He was holding his back. Well, he he's one of those crybabies that whenever <laughs> whenever he misses a shot, he's gonna go for his shoulder or something. That's a great point because he was having such a bad series. It's altogether oh, possible. Oh, oh, my arm, Rodney Dangerfield. I can't play. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so who else? All right, so we've. It seems like we made short work of this love one, right, yeah. Brad? All right, so well, you did. What's your other theory? It's possible. Oh, he's already had you. Yeah. It's possible that I'm looking at the results and then trying to find the reason. But George you Hill, think? he misses games four, five, and six, and of the last series of, of the Indiana series, yes. And so they go to seven games, and they only, it looks like they might even lose it once he's come back. It's, it has been a much, much better Cleveland team, but short sample. So in the, first, in the first four games, the Cavs played so much better against the Pacers. Well, they the Cavs. So got, in the first four, what were the scores? They got blown out two of the three games. But but well, the first four, the first, it split two two. Yes, right? yes. In the final three that he missed, it was what? Well, they they won two to one, but they okay. Got so blown let out me get this six. straight. Let me get this straight. So. With George Hill, they were two and two. Without him, they were two and one, the Cavs. But somehow it's George Hill coming back that's making them play better. It's part of it. 
Mm, that takes guts to even say that. You know, one thing I think we can all agree on. Oh, look at him. He he must be reading a debate book because he's trying to move away from the. Can we agree that when you go two and two in one place and, and two and one in the other, it's hard to say the two and two is much better? Fair enough. Kyle Korver never got enough playing time during the regular season. Oh, he, now we're going to some mysterious yeah. third reason. No, he, I mean, people know you this. You said two reasons. Three reasons. Oh! <laughs> Kyle Korver got much more playing time during the playoffs, and he absolutely, he, he's pl- the, the number one team on the couch. He's better than Le- LeBron in plus minus. He has been very important to their success. Just retract what you said. Just take it all back and say, you know, I don't see anything that the, the Cleveland's playing better. I'm not retracting it. They're <laughs> clearly playing better, and I have upgraded them. So, Brad, where do you come down on this? Uh, I am 60-40 with Fez. I, I think some of it was the Cavs playing better. Now, Mackie, you have a heck of a chance here. Mike's on. Where are you at? Cue it up one more time. I'm with Fez. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Your mic's off. (laughs) You won't be hearing from Mackie the rest of the show. (laughs) All right. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Now, we've got a disagreement on the Cavs. Obviously, they swept. I think the you guys are pretty much with the market. What was it about Toronto? Now, listen, they're done. There's talk about them not even retaining their coach, the number one seed, firing their coach. Uh, and again, we're taping Tuesday at the pregame.com offices in Las Vegas. And remember, the Dream Preview released every Wednesday a.m., like clockwork. And we have this week coming up, Don't Bet On It, released on Friday. A couple times a month, our interview series. How do you get them all? You just go to your favorite pod player or players, if you have more than one, search for RJ Bell, Dream Preview, subscribe. Boom, you get it first immediately. Boom. Remember in Donnie Brasco, when he's talking about when Sonny Black was in prison, he goes, he had a mistress for the mistress. He goes, every month, 200. He goes, boom, boom. Every month. Yeah. <laughs> Love Donnie Brasco. Love Donnie Brasco. What are you doing? Why this guy don't carry his money in a wallet? Hey, why this guy carries money in a roll? Actually, in billions, we were talking about it. At one point, they were quoting, they go, in Brasco. They didn't even say Donnie. It's so iconic. Have you seen Donnie Brasco, Fez? I will this year. <laughs> Brad? No, I've not seen it. Mac, I don't care if you're not if you're nodding or if you're shaking your head. You're that square and you're you're the low man. Just take the heat. All right, so (laughs) what was it about this Raptors team that in hindsight you made such a big mistake on, and now I think we're going to be able to apply it potentially to the Houston-Golden State series? I think that the past failings of Toronto and the playoffs. Now, remember, the last couple of years, this is a team that had had fine seasons, and then they get whacked when they come into the playoffs by this Cavalier team. They couldn't beat the Cavs during the regular season. Then game one, they do not trail for 48 minutes. They never trail, not even three to two. They missed their last 11 shots in that game. 
they make one of them, they win the game, it goes to overtime and they lose. You could see it was like there was a lid on the basket mentally. They rushed their shots. They just were not themselves. And after they lost that game that way, it was the same thing the rest of the series. And I'll tell you this. It is paradoxical, though, about these teams. And this is where the analogy extends to the Rockets. You've got the regular season and you've got playoff history. And when they really differ, you've got to figure out, does playoff history matter? Now, you looked at the regular season, Toronto, their better record, that huge point differential, which the whole Pythagorean um, approach to it, right, which is the idea that your margin matters because in the long run, lucky teams can win a bunch of close games and not be as good as they seem. But even... The point differential was was super impressive for Toronto. And you say, I got 82 games versus, you know, 10 games or whatever the last two years that these two teams played in the playoffs. That could be a fluke, right? That was your mentality coming in. Correct? Absolutely. And, you know, the marketplace. No, 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 no. no. I don't want to hear excuses. That was Steve Fezzik's mentality coming in. Yeah, Toronto is so much better than Cleveland during the regular season, even with massive adjustments down on Toronto and up for Cleveland. Toronto simply still has to be better than Cleveland. Now, these massive adjustments you're talking about, let's be clear what you mean. You're saying, hey, I think Cleveland has another gear, so I'm going to assume they do and give them an upgrade. I think there might be something to this Toronto problem in the playoffs, so I'm going to downgrade them. But even then... I'm going to lay the lumber with Toronto because the margin of difference between these teams is is that big. Absolutely correct. I had Toronto, even with these big adjustments, being the better team with the home court advantage. Now, in hindsight, what is causing you to say the Toronto, maybe that's not the way to say it. What elements of the Toronto situation are you moving forward with that tells you the next time I see this, I'm going to have to adjust the team down even more. Well, I, I want to apply it to the Houston Rockets. Yeah, but no, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Take a breath now. All right. Relax. Don't be nervous. You haven't just changed now to the point of saying anytime there's a team that has a history of bad playoff performances, I'm never going to bat them. You're not saying that, are you? I'm not. Okay. So you bet Toronto. Now you're saying you learned something from that. What is it that you've learned? And let me propose something. You can tell me if you agree. I think the difference here is, and I like Toronto too, so I'm learning too as we go. I think, is it in the heads of that team because if so it's what they call a self-fulfilling prophecy meaning if you tell yourself you're gonna, you're in trouble in this given situation the act of feeling that leads to the fulfillment of your feeling it's kind of the opposite of the oprah gift or whatever is the idea you think positive things positive things happen and fez a lot of new listeners might not know you've read that at the behest of your wife correct yes <laughs> What's funny? Why are you? I, I read it too. You did too. The secret I did, which the, is very it's called simple. the secret. Yes, maybe that's the one I'm thinking yeah. all along. Women weaken legs. And did she make you read it? 
Like, was it like, you're reading this? No, it was, it was just a conversation. <laughs> was it like, I think your life's going to be a lot easier if no, you read this? To be, to be fair, I did not read it. She told me the principles behind it. Oh, so it gave you like the cliff notes. Yes. Did you listen closely or did you kind of nod and were thinking of something else? Not as closely as I listened to you during the pod. <laughs> well, thank God it would be even worse. All right. So do I think we all know if, you, if, if you know, they're in their head. You've heard that phrase a bunch. I think if a team, if LeBron, whomever, is in a team's head, the Bills, the fourth time they went in the Super Bowl, you could easily say, oh, the three games are three games. You don't think the Bills were at a disadvantage at fourth time? Of course they're at a disadvantage. Now, was that on merit? Maybe. But I know certainly it was psychologically a problem. Yeah, and let's face it, they didn't cover in any of those games either. And so clearly it was impacting them. And what really impacts Toronto, I think, there was no key turnover here. You still had Lowry and DeRozan. Those guards underperform every year in the playoffs. And as soon as they stopped hitting their shots... You could just see it impacting them. Here we go again. So can we agree that if there's a history that we that's a small sample size that's negative and the big sample size is positive, if the team believes, or at least it's in their head, I think we got to take it somewhat seriously. If it's not in their head, I'm going to be skeptical of the smaller sample size. Now, is there a perfect way to know if it's in your head or not? I don't think so. But I think that, 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 that just by reading the lead up to the games and all kind of ways that we get a feel for these teams psychologically, I think as a handicapper, we can make that assessment. Absolutely. And you could even see it as the series progressed with um, De La Rosen during the regular season. He shoots it. It goes in during the playoffs. His body language, the way he was behaving, he, he got teed up. He got kicked out of a game. He got benched in a fourth quarter. He clearly was not regular season uh, DeRozan. Last point about the whole psychology thing. If it's in a team's head, but you still think there's enough margin to bet the team, I think you got to be super skeptical if things start going bad. And we saw that game four. Think about how terrible this is. You're down 0-3. You're being called out by the media. You're down 10, RJ, and you wind up losing by almost 30 points. That's a team that's not right. But I'm thinking it was even just in, in after game one. I mean, when you lose that heartbreaker, if LeBron had lost that, remember the Lakers... I still remember this is when against Iverson in the finals, uh, you know, 76ers were a huge underdog against Kobe and Shaq. Sixers won that first game. You remember that, Fez? Yeah, and they won it in L.A. Won in and it was like a 14-point underdog in that game. Huge upset. Yeah. And did the, did the Lakers say, uh-oh, here it goes? No, they said, oh, they got lucky. We're going to really pound them the next game. But what was Toronto feeling? So I think if a team that you think it's in their head, starts getting some momentum to the contrary, who you might have some value there because it's out of their head because they're winning. And I so to me, that first game was a big swing game. And as you're handicapping game by game, I think the mindset of the team is affected by the results in the series up to that point. You bet it before the series, so we got to guess. Agreed? Yeah, agreed. And once game one was over, I was, I was stubborn. I should have just got off my bet and... Locked in a loss, 
But um, yeah, it's too easy to say that once you lose. I hate to overreact to one. That's game. what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, but I do think when it's psychological, it's not about sample size. It's about what they're thinking, right? If you could hypnotize those players to say that you're up three zero, like think about this. This sounds goofy, but if you could hypnotize those players, the Toronto players before game one, to believe they were up three zero and they were playing this game to to sweep. I swear to God, I would make a monster bet on Toronto, even right now in game one. Let's say Lane Ford home. Because I think they're the better team. The whole season told you that. But they weren't hypnotized. And they were scared. And when they got and when, when they lost, it got worse. And I do think them losing those last two games, and we did talk about it on Straight Out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas, Fridays at 11 p.m. to midnight. Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. That's our Fox National show. That's 10 to midnight on Saturdays, Pacific time, two hours, 330 stations nationwide on Fox, and one hour, 11 to midnight on Friday, Pacific. And if you're not up late and you're on the East Coast or you don't have a chance, you're out with having fun, etc. at RJ in Vegas, I tweet out, the sound foul every Saturday morning, every Sunday morning. When Toronto had those two games in Cleveland and there, there were tight lines in those games, and they lost both of them. You know, we were disagreeing on this one. And I thought like, hey, it sets it up where it's in their minds even more. And if they would have won game one, I think it, they wouldn't have cared about losing those late regular season games, Toronto. But once they lost those and lost game one, I thought it set them up to really feel the pressure in game two. And in hindsight, now that we're digging into the psychology a little more, I think you agree with that. I do. And it's always easy after the fact to find a reason for such. But let's face it. How many teams miss 11 straight shots at the end of a game? No one does that. It clearly was in their head. Let's segue to the West. Houston has won 4-1. Game just won final. They won by 10 in the last game against Utah. And Golden State, obviously a big favorite. They're up now with about four minutes left in the second quarter, up eight. So we'll see. But Golden State, Houston, very likely. I've gotten a ton of questions, Fez, on this one. And this will be out by the time people listen Wednesday morning. But let's just run through some of the scenarios. And you can tell me what you see the odds being. So it's Houston against Golden State in this hypothetical in the Western Conference Final, Houston has home court. What's the Fezzik line? Golden State should be favored, minus 160. Take back, plus 140, Houston. So, wow. Minus 160. So, let's say the juiceless line is 150. Now, home court's worth 50 cents, right? Yes. So, you're saying Golden State is 100 cents better. Thus, if this was in Golden State, Golden State would be minus 250. Yes. Wowza. That seems high. That seems, I mean, I, I think it's going to be that, but I think there's value on Houston. Where are you leaning in that series? You know, I'm pretty neutral, if not a slight lean to Golden State. Now, it's possible that maybe I am swinging the pendulum back too far because remember, I just got burned with Toronto, the darling of the regular season that kicked butt that couldn't play a lick in the playoffs. Well, Houston was even better than Toronto during the regular season. They absolutely were the best team. All the analytics point to it. All the point differential point to it. But I got two guys, Paul and Harden, their guards, who have 
underperformed like Lowry and DeRozan of Toronto throughout their careers in the playoffs. But is it against a specific team? I mean, I know the Clippers had trouble against Golden State, but it was, it, I mean, did it feel like the Paul was struggling that badly? One thing about Paul, I'm more worried about Harden. Paul oftentimes the got MVP. In, yeah, yes, the MVP because Paul got injured a lot of the time. So what happened? Some of the losses weren't even on him, and some of his teammates got injured as well with the Clippers. They were really a snake bit group that was great in the regular season, and everything went wrong in the playoffs. I think Golden State is just. I mean, so let's assume Golden State wins tonight. I mean, am I remembering this correctly? They're both going to be eight and two. Entering the conference finals? Yes. So, like, explain to me how anything that's happened so far makes Golden State the better team. Well, they were both playing outmatched teams, and they both basically had one game slip. Yeah, no, I understand what eight and two means. I I, I don't think we learned anything. I think think we knew they were going to So this is all based upon, let's just say we could know for sure. A deity came down and said, Houston is is confident. Harden's confident. There's no psychology in this. Isn't Houston one of the best? I mean, because let's be candid. If, and this is an interesting question we didn't prepare for, is if there was no factor like the playoffs where somehow they were going to play seven games in the regular season, they didn't know it was going to, whoever won four first was going to advance to the finals, but that's how it was going to happen. And Houston had four of the seven at home. So it's the same scenario, except it's not the playoffs. So this psychological single factor isn't there. Houston would be minus 150 if they were even teams. What's the line on that series? Houston minus 300. Houston's a significant, based on this season, significantly better team. Yes, it's not just psychological, though. What else is it? Well, I think it's a matter of Houston was in uncharted territory. This is the most wins this team has gotten ever. Let's see what we can do. Well, that's not what happened, though. They they finished the the year flat, too. At the very end. The Golden State was coasting for a good six, eight weeks at the very end. Remember, and they, to what end? They weren't even the number one seed. Yeah, they knew they were going to be number two. Durant got the broken rib. So that's not coasting. That's being fragile. They were fragile, and they got their guys hurt, and they just that's said, fragile. Be, they're, well, they're not fragile anymore. I think all these well, guys are, really. So, so Curry after three games back is raw. He's like, the like only rock. guy like Webay. He's, he's hard like a rock. He's the yeah. only guy that's not a hundred percent now. Durant and Thompson are back back from their injuries at hundred percent until the next one. Until um, well, that's that's always possible. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I also don't get this big upgrade because Golden State looks so good without Curry because fundamentally the game's going to be played so differently with Curry. I was impressed the way Golden State played without Curry. What's it matter now? Well, they're playing, they played really well against the Pelicans and the Pelicans. So wait, hold on. Entering tonight with Curry, they're one and two or two and one against the Pelicans. Three and one. No. With Curry, I mean. Yeah, yeah, with Curry, too. Two and one. So yeah. that's really, really well. Is that really well? <laughs> well, and they did get, and they lost by 19 in their loss. But I, I like the way Curry looks out there. Curry looks better You're out talking there. over my drive. Very aggressive. <laughs> Very aggressive. Was this the hand where 
he had the aces and stay focused. Focused. Yes. How in the heck are we more impressed by Golden State? Because I was thought Curry was only going to be eighty percent, and he looks like he's ninety plus percent in the game they, that I've watched. All right. So this is the eye test. The eye test says uh. he is not struggling like he was two years ago when he came back and was a sh- really a shell of himself. All right. This is why there's chocolate and vanilla ice cream. People tend to disagree. Some folks call it a slang blade. I call it a kiter blade. <laughs> I I like the Rockets here, especially I'm going to be getting 140. I'm going to be getting 140 Might go higher. Might go higher, Arch. All right. Any thoughts, Brad? Mm, no, none. Should we let Mackie? No. I'm going to, I'm going to wait. <laughs> <laughs> After RJ wins, he's going to say, pay that man. <laughs> pay that man his money. Last NBA question. Cleveland versus Golden State. What's your line? Golden State, minus 500. Cleveland take back, plus 400. Wowza. Wowza. Um, Golden State and Houston would have home courts. So Golden State, home court. Houston with home court. Houston home court, minus 360. Cavs plus 300. There you have it. Steve Fezzik. Quick derby recap here. Very interesting line. So we had an 0-61 trend. Now here was the trend. A two-year-old that didn't race and then in his three-year-old year was in the derby was 0-61. And justify the favorite was in that situation. Now, to me, there's two ways to look at this. One, oh, Justify won the Derby. I mean, there's got to be a winner every year. And the idea of him being some you know significant favorite to win the Triple Crown, I don't, you know, I don't see why that would be, right? Or there's another perspective, which is Hey, 61 other horses couldn't do this because not racing as a two-year-old is a burden. It means you either physically weren't mature enough or you were injured or you were in it. You, you're certainly inexperienced. And the Derby with 20 horses needs experience and it needs physical strength. This might be a super horse. And if it can buck history like this, why not win the next two races? So, Brad, we were looking up the odds before... The show right now, it was minus what? Minus 160 on the no, plus 140. Yep. Right. So if you want to say yes, he's going to win the next two races, which happened once in the last, what, 30 years? And they're saying it's like less than a, or or, or let's think about this, like over a 40% chance. What do you think, Fez? I think you got to bet the no. And just to, Go off of what you're saying. It's happened once the last 30 years. If we hadn't had a triple crown winner, this line would be like no minus 300. So you literally have a number that's moved 150 cents based upon one recent triple crown winner, in my opinion. Well, when we were doing the the Fox show, the lines came out. It was minus 420 on the no plus 300. So. The thing that worries me is this is being bet now by some fairly sharp money. I mean, squares aren't, I mean, some squares might be betting it early, but they're not moving the line early. And by the way, 
the sixth sixth straight year that the favorite has won the Kentucky Derby. And there was a 20-year period starting, ending about 15 years ago. So if you look at the last, like, 35 years or so, the first 20 years of that, the favorite won zero times. And then the favorites won, like, nine of the last 15 or some variation of that. But six in a row. And I tell you, I don't, listen, I don't want to call anyone square. I mean, Huey, I don't control the board, but (laughs) when, what do you left? When Huey says someone's square, who are we to question it? But to me, if you're betting the favorite in the Derby, that's square. I mean, you're with all the fanny packs. Brad, did you bet the Derby? I did. And I was square. But I was also a winner. <laughs> a winning square. A winning square. Fez, what do you say about people that are results-oriented and not process-oriented? Scoreboard. Uh, oh, is that what you said? Six, seven scoreboard. I don't think that's what you say. I've never heard someone cry when they get a two outer against them like you do. Come on. All right. <laughs> All right. So are you going to bet it? Are you betting the no? I have to bet the no. I'm going to wa- wait. I'm going to sit back and watch the line move because I am. Hey, listen, if someone's able to, if someone says no one's ever climbed that mountain and the dude climbs the mountain. I'm thinking this is unlike any dude I've ever seen before. You know, it's interesting how we're being paralyzed a little with fear with that line move. Because a few days ago, if you would have told me, RJ, you can bet the no minus 220, I'd be like, heck yeah, I'm going to race over there and get it. And now I can get the no minus 150. I'm like, eh, I'm going to hold out for minus 130. Yeah, but there's no, again, that's one of the nice advantages of having more books is you can watch to see if a move happens. And when it happens, you can you know the books that move a little slower. You, it's almost a free roll, right? If it keeps moving in your direction, then you wait and wait and wait and wait. If it moves against you, you grab a lagging number, and you get the same number as if you had bet now. You know, that's a great concept. And in terms of sports betting, if I may, sometimes we talk about the number being painted everywhere. If a line's six and a half, I will never, almost never make a bet if it's the same at every book, because what's the rush? I might get plus seven. If it craters down to plus six, I can always grab one of these stale plus six and a halves. Yeah, but that, but you're in that case, you're losing the seven, you're saying. Well, the seven was never there. Oh, you're saying if it's plus six and a half painted. Right. Yeah, but you're in front of the screen like a maniac, right? Absolutely. How <laughs> how often, RJ, when you text me, do I not get right back to you? Um, Almost always you never get back to me because you're watching the freaking screen. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth there. <laughs> We're counting cards. I mean, Fez is on it. He's on it. Bet two, Ray. All right, next topic, and this is the last topic before best bets, is let's talk a little bit. Oh, actually, last thing on the horses, and this was on my Twitter, if you want to see it, but there was a lady, a working lady, down in Texas, this is on the wire. It was a working man, they said, is... They shot in the first season. I think it was Weebay. Weebay, hard like a rock. She had an $18 bet, and she picked the Derby winner and four others, the four races leading up to the Derby in Texas. One of the winners was a 39-to-1 shot. So it was like a pick five kind of thing, I guess. And her $18 bet won $1.2 million. 
living the dream. And then there was a guy, and boy, I listen, we are hard on the bookies, dastardly, dastardly, bad, bad, stay away, is don't, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't let your daughters marry a book. Well, I guess maybe financially it's not bad, but spiritually. <laughs> Steve, at the win, not Steve win, at the win, Johnny Avello, been around a long time. He loves the horses. Johnny's done a ton of shows with us. Really nice guy. Brad, you've been picking on him with your college football openers every Sunday, but he he keeps taking the bets. Yeah, he does. He's he's got an opinion, and he's doing fine. He's, he's making good money, I promise. He is the type that if you just walk up and, and say, "Hey, Johnny, I want there's some horse," and Johnny will look at the horse's pedigree and give you odds. So back on February seventeenth, two thousand eighteen, not that long ago. Someone walked up and go, hey, hey, Johnny, you probably haven't heard of this horse named Justify. And Johnny looks and the horse has never ran a race. So as of February 17th, it never it broke their mate, its mate or his maiden, I guess you'd say. And they negotiated and Johnny gave him 300 to one. So $500 is what they bet and cashed a ticket for 150 thousand dollars i've got that ticket up on my twitter it's only a few tweets back at rj in vegas wowza i love the guts kudos johnny but it's one thing to put up an early number when you have all the information i mean it seems like that the johnny's just setting himself avella's just setting himself up that the people know a lot more. There's no way Johnny can know as much about, and it ends up the story was in the gaming today. The story was that, that this person knew the trainer and they, and somehow something was overheard. And this was true inside information. Well, I give the better a lot of credit because you have to be a good actor. To bet 500 to win 150,000 when you have inside info? No, to pretend like you're a square ball. Oh, can you just put up the oh. odds on this horse? It's me and my, my uncle owns What would you do? Come in with your computer printouts? I mean, uh, what the heck? It's an art. It's an art, and they, I'm not as good at it. I'm not. I don't think well, you're not as good at it because you got a history. I'm the dirtiest player <laughs> in the game. <laughs> they know if you're. Listen, everybody that knows you, Fezzik, knows if you're asking for something, they you don't want to give it. Hey, can you put up a, a Baylor college football total? Come on. I mean, Brad, if you guys, let me ask you a serious question. If you're driving and you're you're outside of uh, Laughlin. And it says 40 miles to Laughlin. If Fezzik says, you know, I bet it's less than 35 to Laughlin. What would you be thinking? Uh, no. You uh, don't know why, but you're yeah, not. I'm thinking, I'm, not I'm thinking he dug up that sign, yeah. moved it five miles yes. is what I'm thinking. Two years right. ago, I wouldn't have said that. But now that I've gotten to know you, Fez, absolutely. Right past Christmas tree pass. <laughs> you I've, get, you get, you I've get been that? to Laughlin. No. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a road. All right, last thing before the best bets. This got a ton of attention on Twitter, too. If you aren't following by now, you might want to get the message. Now, check this out. For every dollar that Vegas made in March, the March numbers came out last week. For every dollar Vegas made in March, how much on sports betting, how much do you think they made at the various other bet types? 
And here's the numbers. And I'm going to be updating this every month. So every dollar in the sports books, they won money in March. 85 cents on roulette. So less, less on a raw basis. Exactly a dollar on craps. So one pretty much exactly the same amount on craps as sports betting. 34.2 million each. $2.79 on blackjack. So 279% more. Or 179% more. Baccarat, $3.43. Penny slots, $8.30. The bigger slot machines, $10.54, the non-pennies. So literally, Nevada made more than eight times as much money in March, March Madness, on penny slots, pennies, than on sports betting. So as much as we try to push the books into doing more, being more ambitious. Oh, you can make more money. It's a tiny percentage of their money. And boy, those, and you wonder when you walk in and see those penny slots and you wonder like, why are there so many of these penny slots? Now, you know, Fez, you had a great story. And I mean, again, the dirtiest player in the game, you've got your crew. You had an amazingly fun angle shot that that you've uh, you know someone that's done. Yes. So if you're playing craps and the craps table's about to close, this would happen if you were on a cruise ship and international waters coming back to domestic waters. They'll say, "Hey, three more rolls, two more rolls." So let's set the scene. You're on a ship. So the reason you're able to gamble is you're not. In American waters, you're in international waters. Thus, international rules apply. And then at a certain point, they're they're chugging, steam chugging in, and it's like, all right, one more roll, two more rolls. So they're counting down one more, meaning we're going to be past international waters. It will be illegal for us to take a bet, and thus, this is it. Now explain. You bet the cum on the last roll. If a seven or eleven gets rolled, you win. If a two three so come is positive, as in like you, the the shooter's gonna win. Yes. If a two three or twelve comes up, you lose. Turns out, you push most of the time, but when there's an outcome, you win two thirds of the time on an even money bet. And but which means when there's not an outcome on the first roll, then you're at a big disadvantage. You can still win on that combat, but you're at a disadvantage. Right. But in this because there's only one roll left, it's either gonna be a push. Or you have what was the edge again on the on the decision on the first roll? You're you're two to one favorite to win, but you're an eleven percent edge overall. Okay, so money bet. so you're betting two to one, or you're going to get your money back. Yeah, usually you're betting two to one, and then you're at a big disadvantage on the future roll. So the whole trip, they're waiting for that. Yes. Don't go to the bathroom. And there are times that just close the crap stable, and they'll say, "Hey, four more rolls, three more rolls." It does happen in Nevada, also. Oh, really? Because they gotta, they're they're going to consolidate games or something. Exactly. I'm the dirtiest player in the game. That is true enough. I mean, imagine imagine Fez coming in trying to angle shoot you. We got a shooter. All right, guys. One last quick commercial, and then best bets. True car, true car, true car. True to my heart. You know they try to give you. T- I mean, think about what they're trying to do here, guys. They've been with dream preview a long time they're trying to tell you there's all these different ways 
We all drive, or many of us, most of us, and they're saying, hey, we're going to give you some tips. Coffee filter and a little olive oil to clean your interior. We've talked about that. The excess weight, we've laughed about that. That improves gas mileage if you get rid of it. Brad told us a story. He had, would you have hay in the back of your truck? No, that would no, be sandbags. Hay. Sandbags from the farm. He took those off. His gas mileage went up. The whole thing about, hey, your car won't open the key fob. Ah, that's all fun and games. But true car, when you actually take off the rubber band, helps you buying new cars and used cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you will enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience. It's not just how much money. It's also how much time and that's whether you buy a new or used car. And with True Car, users can see what others paid. Information is power. So they know if you're getting a good deal, you know before buying. Anybody that uses True Car knows how good of a deal you're getting. And let's be candid. If you know if you're getting a good deal, it means you're never going to take a bad deal. It's almost a guarantee that you're not going to get a bad deal if you use True Car. And those that do are more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with the True Car certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. If it's available in yours, take advantage. This is your wake-up call, pal. Go to work. And finally, BetQL. We're all looking to get an edge over the sports books, the dastardly bookies. BetQL is available for download. It's an app that puts the important research you need to make smart bets in one place. BetQL gives you powerful data at your fingertips. With BetQL, you can quickly access line movement and see how the lines move throughout the day. This app gives you access to public betting trends in real time so you can see which side the public is favoring. BetQL's proprietary algorithm gives users value bets of the day based on detailed recent and historical team trends. Best of all, you can download BetQL for free from your Apple or Android device. Head to betql.co to download an app to help you outsmart Vegas. That's betql.co. BetQL is Brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer, trusted by 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free from both Apple and Android. All right, Fazzy Wazzy. Fazzy Wazzy. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I love that story with the, on the ship in the international waters. Who doesn't love that? I mean, do you enjoy being the, like, do you enjoy being the dirtiest player in the game now? Like, you were trying to hide it for a long time. We exposed you. Well, you just read the stats about how much the casinos are winning on penny so slots. So you don't feel bad. They're not giving the players a fair shake. So... If you can take advantage any way you can, get the money. Listen to him. The truth is starting to come out now. (laughs) 
We got Dave Esler, overrated, underrated. He's got a free pick, and Fezzik's got a free pick. That's it. We're going down the home stretch with so much actionable info. And Esler, pregame.com pro, baseball expert. And uh, he's had a great season across the season and contributed a ton here. Let's start with the overrated team. My overrated team, and, and I think we'll get a lot of agreement here, is the New York Mets. Now, you know, everybody knows they've sort of cut loose Matt Harvey, but coming into the season, you know, it was Harvey, DeGrom, Syndergaard. Uh, Syndergaard uh, hasn't pitched more than six innings in any game this season. Zach Wheeler's got an ERA almost six. Right now, probably their their most consistent starter has been Matt's. Uh, but his issue with me is that he has only pitched six innings once. Uh, and that's a, that's a huge thing when you have a bullpen with a 5.73 ERA over the last seven games. And, and you know I'm all about sort of right now. Uh, they did win Monday night, but they had a huge lead and had to hang on. See bullpen. What, what you know, Familia's been great back there, but getting to that point, you know, Seawald and Robles have been horrible. And I guess the, the telltale thing for me is you got somebody like Gesselman who has four wins, which is more than any other Met, and he hasn't started a game this season. So they're pitching, and DeGrom is out until at least next weekend. Uh, is not good. They came into last night hitting 201 in the last week. They're they're six and 14 in their last 20 games, and 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 almost the opposite of the San Francisco value. They were only underdogs in four of those games and favored in their last eight games. I just I just don't understand that. Uh, you've got Cespedes, Bruce Rosario, and Frazier all hitting less than 250. Cespedes is on a pace to break Mark Reynolds' records for most strikeouts in a season. They were just swept by Atlanta and the Rockies at home. So going forward, my overvalued team has to be the New York Mets. My favorite handicapping approach is being a contrarian batter, going against the public. I've always believed, especially in the NFL, which is a very public sport, as you know, Dave, that the Big public teams, the New York teams, the Steelers, the Cowboys, etc., tend to naturally attract a lot of recreational action. Now, the Mets are not the Yankees, but it is a New York team. I would have to guess one of the five or seven biggest fan bases. Do you find in baseball, which doesn't have as much recreational action, that the teams from the big markets, when they do get hot, when they are winning, do they tend to attract more recreational money and thus offer more value fading because they get expensive? Well, I think that's absolutely the case. And, and it's probably magnified when they have their stud pitcher going out there. You know, if Washington is not doing well, all of a sudden they win two or three and Scherzer goes out there, you know, he might have been minus 165 but because Washington's won a couple games. He's minus 190 and for no real good reason. And I think you can look across the board and see that being the case, especially with the big market teams. You know, people don't people do tend to bet more recreationally on baseball. So they're not nearly as familiar with sort of what's going on night after night after night. So absolutely, I I would 100 percent agree with you that the big market teams and again, magnified by pitchers that people have actually heard of. A lot of people might not have heard of Tanner Rourke, but they certainly know Strasburg and Max Scherzer, and they pay dearly to bet on them. And what I love about this handicap by Dave is that the Mets, who are probably going to be a 500 team, started out so hot, 
public team with a like plus 10 above 500. And because of that, the betting public likes the Mets. The fact they lost six in a row at home. Think about what Dave's saying. They lost three in a row to Atlanta and then three in a row to Colorado. What team in the National League has the biggest home field advantage? Arguably the Rockies. And they lost three in a row at home. Problems for the Mets. Now, Dave Esler's most underrated team of the week is the Giants. And and looking back at what they've done over the last month and a half, they've won five straight series, two out of three against the Angels, two out of three against Washington, San Diego, three out of four against the Dodgers. And then they swept the Braves in Atlanta. And what really got me is that put them at 13 and seven, their last 20. And they were underdogs in all but three of them. So, the market certainly hasn't caught up to what they've been doing, and, and Monday night notwithstanding. Coming into the week, they were the hottest team in baseball, hitting 302, scoring almost seven runs a game. And what strikes me there is they only hit four home runs in those games. So they're, they're all collectively hitting. And what they've done is doing it without Pence, who's about to come back from rehab. Joe Panic's been out. Longoria and McCutcheon are both hitting well below average. McCutcheon's hitting 246, career 290 hitter. Longoria, 238, career 270 hitter. They're going to come back. Mac Williamson's coming back from concussions. Uh, They're pitching. Their bullpen going into last night uh, had a 2.14 ERA over the last week. They did get brutalized last night, but due to Samaja, they threw in the inning inning eater. So I can almost throw that out the window. Uh, Cato should be back later in the week. Uh, Stratton has been a pleasant surprise. Only one of his seven starts was really not that good, and he's pitched against some great competition. Suarez has looked good. Um, I don't like them uh, Tuesday and Wednesday at the Phillies, but then they've got a series against the Pirates, who will be coming back home after playing the White Sox, and they're home against the Reds. So I think they're going to be a money machine going forward. So the Giants are my underrated team this week. You can't listen to Dave and not know how much he knows about baseball. On Twitter, it's at Dave underscore underscore Esler, E-S-S-L-E-R, Dave underscore Esler. Great depth with his handicaps. Any thoughts on this one, Fess? I'm a little concerned about the Giants' bullpen because their top three starters were out for most of the year now. Some margins come back. Cueto's coming back. So I would check how much the bullpen has been taxed before betting them on any given night. Make sure that the bullpen's not been overworked recently. It's that time. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Go, Fezzy, go. NFL week one. This could be a little bit lengthy, RJ, with some math. I apologize. I'm pulling back the curtain here. I'm going under 51 and a half. I really like this game between Tampa Bay and New Orleans. In order for me to have a total, what's the highest I would set an NFL total? Well, I start 44, kind of as my baseline. I would use 55 if I have two great offenses and two really bad defenses. Well, I got a great offense in Tampa Bay, and I got a, I'm sorry, in New Orleans, and I've got a really bad defense in Tampa Bay. I can't be certain of that because it's week one. There's some uncertainty, but I'm going to go ahead and say that that's given. But New Orleans has an average defense, at least. Tampa Bay has an average offense. So I only have two of the four equations to get my total up. So instead of going from 44 to 55, I'm going to make it more like 49 and a half to give two of the four pieces to the over and split the difference between 44 and 55. 
But that assumes this game was played week seven. This game's being played week one. Weeks one and weeks two in the NFL are the lowest scoring weeks. And I have to take a point and a half off my total to reflect that. Last year, if you solely bet the unders on Sunday, week one, you went 10 and two to the under. That's going to knock my total from 49 and a half down to 48 and a half. And this is a divisional game, which tends to be a little lower scoring. And RJ, what I love about this, these two teams just played week 17. There was only 30 points scored going into the fourth quarter when there was a fumble six and all heck broke loose. A misleading phony 55 points week 17. They know each other well. They play again under 51 half in a game. I want to make a bold prediction. This total closes below 50. I got to tell you, that was horrible radio. But amazing insight. <laughs> so let's just give him a thumbs up. Yeah. Let's give him a thumbs up because there's not many people in the world, in the world that can do that. In all the five boroughs, I'm known. I'm known all over the world. And it's true. At Fezzik Sports on Twitter. Now we've got Mr. Dave Esler with his free pick in baseball. This is for Wednesday, Wednesday action. My free pick this week, uh, and this one, uh, I'm not going to outthink the room. Uh, Seattle and Toronto, Wednesday night, over nine runs. First thing we've got to look at is Tuesday night's game. You're going to have Paxton against Stroman, and runs are going to be hard to come by. So I tend to want to look the other way in the next game. And, and here we have Jaime Garcia with his 1.60 whip. And, and for those that... Don't know whip is walks and hits per innings pitched is 1.60, meaning he's allowing 1.6 batters per inning. That's a lot, obviously. He's given up at least a one jacket, all six starts, at least three runs in only five innings in five straight starts. And probably more importantly, you know, you might think that would regress, but in all of those games, he's had a ton more fly ball outs than ground ball outs. So I think Seattle's going to put up some runs. You know, Seattle's a top 10 team in OPS versus left-handed pitching, which obviously Garcia is. And then working backwards, you got Wade LeBlanc, who started one game, hasn't thrown more than four innings this year. In fact, hasn't really been a starter in eight years. He's thrown 79 innings once in the last 10 years. So I don't know how Toronto doesn't score off of him. And Seattle's bullpen has a 5.40 ERA over the last week. They've given up five home runs in the last two games headed into Tuesday night. And when I bet an over and the number is nine, I'm always looking at it. Well, how are both teams going to get four runs, meaning it's an absolute push at worst. And the more I look at this, especially in that venue, I don't see how both teams don't score four runs. So Seattle, Toronto, over nine runs Wednesday night. And I love the analysis on the fly ball outs. Fly ball outs turn into home runs. Almost every study says, for every fly ball you give up, one out of 10 goes over the wall. All right, guys, I got to tell you, this was a show that I was proud of. One last thing, Podcast One, we're all trying to help each other. And this week we're promoting Real GM Radio with Danny LaRue. If you like this podcast, I'm reading this, by the way. If you like this podcast, you should check. Can you tell me? You should check out Real GM Radio. Danny LaRue, the basketball expert, sports writer, and podcaster. So he's an expert. Wow. Has a show here on Podcast One, Sportsnet, where he breaks down all the things NBA with some of the best dot leaders. Guys, have you been on this show? 
Not yet. Hmm. For in-depth conversation breaking down the NBA playoffs, check out Real GM Radio every Thursday on Podcast One, Sportsnet, and Apple Podcasts. And also remember to rate and review. Okay, guys, speaking of rating and reviewing, a perfect five stars for the Dream Preview on Apple. If you want to do us a little favor, help us keep growing the pod. Give us a five star. If you listen this long, that is the obvious score. And we'll be back with a Dream or no Dream Preview next week. Don't bet on it fresh this Friday. Talk to you there. Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for R.J.? You can contact him directly on Twitter at R.J. in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.